Please welcome Sean Terrell, a multi-talented financial advisor, podcaster, author, and speaker. With a passion for helping dentists navigate their financial journey, Sean founded Dentist Exit Planning, a firm dedicated to providing comprehensive financial planning for dentists. He's also the host of a popular podcast, Dentists, Puns, and Money, where he shares stories of dentists exiting clinical practice and the critical financial strategies involved. Sean's expertise on the topic has also led to the publication of his book, The Professional Practice Trap, which addresses the challenges faced by service firm owners. When he's not working, Sean loves spending time with his family, being an Iowa Hawkeyes fan, listening to Pearl Jam, and going on bike rides. Let's give a warm welcome to Sean Terrell. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mint Door Podcast. I'm Dr. Laura Schwint, and my partner, Dr. Karen Tyndall, is unable to be here today, but I am bringing you Sean Terrell. Thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast today. I'm excited to talk about what your passions are because I think it's super important for dentists and um, and just really grateful that you're here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. Uh, just to get you warmed up so that you're ready for these, these questions we're going to ask you, we've got just some um, warm-up questions that we ask all our podcast guests. So we're going to go through a few of these, and uh, just off the cuff, let us know what you think. So okay. the first one is, are you an early bird or a night owl? So I've been both. I used to be a night owl in my former life, and now I have turned into an early bird. So mm-hmm. I've seen both sides of it. Awesome. How early is early for you? Uh, I usually wake up around 6.15 or 6.30. Okay. okay. So I don't, I don't like to set an alarm if I don't have to, unless I have something scheduled really early. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's nice to wake up naturally, I find. Ooh, nice. Awesome. All right. Do you prefer the mountains or the ocean? Oh, man. Can I say both? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I would have said the ocean six months ago, but I was in Colorado last fall and just loved it. And I was like, oh, I've really got to make a point to come back here and do some skiing and some mountain biking uh, sometime in the next couple of years. So uh, I'll I'll split the difference there and say I love them both. Awesome. All right. We'll let you have it. Um, Do you eat breakfast or do you skip breakfast? Uh, I like something light for breakfast during work days. Uh, If there's time... um, my wife and I have always enjoyed going and getting breakfast together pre-kids, something we haven't oh. done as much since kids. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do love breakfast food, pancakes, waffles, hash browns, French toast, the whole nine yards. Mm, you're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So that you may have answered my question, but do you prefer to eat in or eat out? Uh, I'm more of an eat in person. I like to to dine at home and uh, make dinner together when when time allows and maybe enjoy a little bit of red wine and listen to a little bit of uh, music. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably more of an in person. That sounds nice. Um, so then how about movies? Do you prefer to go see a movie in the theater or watch Netflix at home? More of a more of a Netflix at home person there as well. I do enjoy going to the movies, but only if it's something I really want to see and can't wait for it to come out on you know streaming or Netflix a, a few months later. So um, I hadn't been to the movies I think in several years, but then just this last year I went to the movies several times. And I wanted to see the new Top Gun movie, and then while my wife and I were sort of in waiting mode to have 
baby number two last summer, we went and saw the Elvis movie, which was also really good. Oh, I've been wanting to see that. Yeah. Awesome. Very fun. All right. Book or Kindle? I'm book. Uh, I need to have an excuse not to have blue light in my face before I go to bed. So the, the hard copy book helps with that, I found. Fantastic. Helps you get up earlier without that blue light, right? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Cat or dog? I'm definitely a cat person. All right. Um, if you were to go out to eat or make make something at home, would you pick a burger or a salad? I'm a burger person. I'm not much of a salad person. All right. Sounds good. And then on the weekends, do you prefer Saturday or Sunday? Saturday is my favorite day of the week. Friday and Saturday are my favorite days of the week. Sunday, I think my mind starts to think about everything I have to do on Monday and some sometimes that bleeds in. So yeah, mm-hmm. Saturday, I'm home with my boys and we watch a lot of sports and have fun together. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, that, those are your warm up questions. You feel adequately warmed up and we've, we've gotten to know you a little bit. So yeah, I think so. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Fantastic. Well, we'll jump right in. And um, you do a lot with financial planning. And I know that you are really big on the concept of high level life planning and its significance in financial planning. Um, Can you describe a little bit of what that means and why that's so important? Sure. So to even back up a step, I do not have any sort of formal training as a life coach or in life planning or anything like that, like you you guys do. And I know you have some formal training there. So I just want to put that out there. But I just think it's really valuable for people. And the reason I think this is because I did it myself when I was 43 a couple of years ago, uh, just to sit down and really think about what are the big things that you want out of life and sort of what does your ideal day and your ideal week look like, and then work backwards from there as you plan the financial component of your life. And I've found that a lot of people just really haven't ever sat down for an hour or two in complete silence with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a glass of wine or whatever, and just a notebook and really got into their head and wrote out some of the key things that they want out of their life. And I sort of was encouraged to do that by a a business coach I had a couple of years ago and just found it really, really valuable in terms of reverse engineering everything else in my life based on the really big things that I think are most important with the caveat of maybe what holds people back from doing that is one, just, you know, time and everything, everyone's so busy all the time, it feels like. But number two, you don't have to feel like you you get it all right the first time. It's okay to take an educated guess about the things that you think are important. And, you know, if something changes down the road, pivot or iterate from there. So mm-hmm. uh, just an hour or two of silence. What are the big things that are really important? What do your ideal days and weeks look like? And give yourself permission to not have to be perfect or guess exactly how you want it to go. You can change your mind later. I think that's super good advice. And I think you're right. So many people have not thought that way. Do you get a lot of um, clients that are surprised when they do this exercise and and grateful that they've done it? I do. I, I think so. And it's important because... When people engage with me, a lot of times they're asking what I consider to be these micro questions. And I'm always encouraging them to like, you know, where should I put my money or what account should I have over here? And I'm like, well, you know, it depends on a lot of other things about your life. 
And so can we pull back and start really high level there? Because that will uh, formulate or point us in the right direction for how we make more of these micro decisions about how much to save and where to save it and all these different actions to take. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it makes me think of of something that, that you pride yourself on as far as comparing financial planning to treatment planning in dentistry. And so, yeah, elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, I, I try to, one thing I think that helps people understand financial planning and what I'm trying to communicate a little bit more, a little better is if I can use an analogy that makes sense to them. And before I even make the comparison to treatment planning, I want to make sure you as a former clinical dentist, I understand treatment planning in the same terms as you do. So I'm not, because I, I I am no expert when it comes to clinical dentistry. So I'm going to tell you what I think treatment planning is with dentistry. And I want to make sure that we're on the same page there. So someone has a problem with their mouth or a tooth. And they go to a dentist and a dentist, based on all of their experience and all of their training, looks at their mouth, at their tooth, tells them what the problem is, educates them on what their options are to get out of pain or to fix it, and then lays out several options that they could take, a treatment plan, but also usually makes some sort of recommendation about what they think they should do about what option number one is. If you were my relative, my spouse, what would you do? What would you tell me to do? Is that, am I in the right neighborhood of treatment planning with dentistry? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I think that's perfect. So with that sort of as a backdrop, I, I try to think about financial planning the same way. Like, let me try to understand the qualitative and the quantitative aspects of your life and your financial situation, which gets back to what we talked about a little bit, a little bit ago. What do you want out of life? Mm-hmm. And let me look at some of the numbers. Let me ask you a lot of questions. And then based on all of that, and based on my training and my experience, mm-hmm. here are some of the big things that I think you can do to move the needle for what I hear you saying you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Here's some education on and some information on why that is. And this is where I struggle a little bit, like giving people enough information to understand <laughs> what I'm trying to point them towards without overwhelming them with information. So they get paralysis by analysis. Mm -hmm. And then also making a recommendation saying, here's what I think you should do and why, and what would you like to do? Leaving it up to them. So I try to kind of approach it the same way. And I, I think that resonates with people most of the time, as long as they feel like I have their best interest at heart, which is you know, the same thing a patient looks at a dentist. Are they making this recommendation in my best interest? And if they trust someone, mm-hmm. then the answer is yes. And and they hopefully do the best option for them in their situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that's really important because we're coming to you as the expert. You've done your your due diligence, um, just like a dentist has done their due diligence to get to the point of of being able to treat teeth and you're treating financial. And so, but the other piece of it is, is letting that, that client still have the final say, which right. is really cool. I'm all about free will. And sometimes you can just give the people the information and 
then you let go and you just hope that they make the best decision for them and be okay. It sounds weird, but I try as much as I can. And I've had to learn this over time to be emotionally detached from whatever outcome they, they take or whatever option they take, as long as they've made an informed decision. I think it's about an informed decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And there's, you know, with, with the complexities of the the financial world and all the things that go into, especially somebody that's a business owner and all of that, what are some of the financial challenges that you see the most and, and how do you help your clients navigate those challenges? Taxes is a big one that mm-hmm. I see. And that always gives everyone's attention because you know, Dennis, if they, if they have a good practice and they make a good income, uh, taxes is probably their largest expense now and, and later. So uh, one of the things that I try to teach people is how to be proactive about how to approach your taxes instead of just being reactive. That's going to give you a better outcome in terms of how much you pay over your lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, and then Again, you know, uh, sort of alluding to what we talked about a little bit ago, like, what are you solving for? What are the, are, you know, do you want to practice until you're 70 or do you have to be done when you're 50 based on how long you want to stay in clinical? Do you have uh, the quote unquote million dollar house or are you living well below your means and driving used cars or cars that are five or 10 years old? Uh, do you want to help your kids? How much long term? All those things sort of factor into um, some of the things that I help dentists work through and just being really intentional about whatever it is that they, that they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taxes. Did that answer the question? I felt like yeah. I rambled a little bit more no. uh, on that one. No, that's good. <laughs> Taxes for sure is one of those nebulous, like there's so much, um, just thought that can go into that instead of being reactive, like you say. And, um, I know, um, one of your, biggest passions is is helping dentists post clinically so are there are there certain tax um things that you help with when a dentist is planning post clinical life so sort of in that post clinical life um late 50s early 60s tends to be generally speaking when people have the most control over how they pay their taxes and mm-hmm. so i to use a football analogy, I'm not sure if this resonates with everyone, but that's kind of like the red zone. That's when people are closest to the end zone. Um, and that's when things are really, really critical to make sure that people are really intentional about whatever decisions they make around their finances, uh, especially taxes. And now I'm losing my train of thought where I was going with that. But um, sorry, can you repeat the question? I want to make sure I hit head on what, what you're asking. Just how how do you navigate the the tax planning for somebody that's thinking of leaving clinical? And, you know, okay. as far as there's probably some really good questions that come up there that maybe they haven't thought about yet. Yep. So the the big thing that I see that has to get sorted out in an intentional way is a lot of dentists because they've made good money and are higher are in a higher tax bracket during their peak practice years have deferred a lot of their income into a 401k plan or a profit sharing plan or a cash balance plan and that's probably been a pretty good move to not pay income tax you know on $100,000 or whatever the number is 
at a 35, 37, 39% federal tax bracket, not to mention a state tax bracket, if that applies. Mm -hmm. So that's good to defer paying taxes then, but the, the bill on taxes comes due at some point, whether or not you want to take that money out or not. Um, and so how you take it out later can affect the total amount of taxes that you pay over your lifetime. And once you're not practicing anymore, now you can be a lot more intentional about how you take it out. Things like Roth IRA conversions um, are one tactical way to intentionally pay taxes at present. So you will pay less taxes over the course of your lifetime, over the next 20 or 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is, that time period post-clinical or a dentist, um, things like tax loss harvesting or having a, a sort of a, a plan around something called required minimum distributions, which is what I was alluding to a little bit ago. The government will force you to take uh, that money out of your qualified plans once you hit a certain age. And if you don't, then there's heavy penalties for not doing so. So having a plan to make sure that you don't have to take out more money later than you want to, to avoid overpaying too much in taxes or paying more than you otherwise would have had to. Mm. So that's a little bit more on the technical side, but that's, those are a couple strategies around tax planning and that come into play when someone is exiting clinical in their late fifties, early sixties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose, and maybe you can let us know, you, you probably um, see some more clients nowadays that are leaving clinical dentistry and doing something else. Like, you know, it's not necessarily practicing clinical dentistry to the very end and retiring. And and so there's probably some interesting tax scenarios for a dentist leaving clinical and then maybe going on to another career or doing something different. Yeah, and that's probably a different problem set or a different um, formula that you have to sort of plug in when someone's not stepping off away from clinical into the quote unquote traditional retirement mm -hmm. where they're going to chase the grandkids around or play a lot more golf or whatever it is. If they're still working and earning income, mm -hmm. then there's different uh, moves that potentially have to be made around that formula as well. Like how do you continue saving for your eventual retirement from everything 10 or 20 years down the road? Mm -hmm. yeah. And what can you do now to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a position that you pay more taxes than you have to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I bet you're a good good advisor in that area because you yourself had a career before this um, as a, a TV sports anchor and talk radio host. Yeah. <laughs> so early in your career, that was that was what you did. Tell us how those jobs gave you some unexpected transferable skills that pro have propelled you into your current your current profession. Yeah, so I think the the cool thing about working in TV and radio is that you learn to talk off the cuff without a teleprompter a lot of times and I think that's a good skill to have. Dentists are good with the small talk as well because they do it so many times a day with patients. Um, and where it didn't show up right away because when I got out of television, it would have been early 2011. So it's been almost 12 years now as we, we record this. Mm -hmm. Um, and podcasts weren't as much of a thing then as they definitely are now. But I found a few years ago that, 
uh, just in terms of sharing my ideas and attracting clients that might be interested in working with me, podcasting was something that I really enjoyed doing and sort of had a background, you know, with the talk radio and the talking on television. Um, that was something that came very natural to me as opposed to, you know, other people in my industry, maybe not having that uh, foundation to do something like that on their own. So uh, I've sort of used those transferable skills from being able to speak into starting my own podcast a couple of years ago, which you and uh, Karen were guests on in an episode that will release, I think, in the late spring of 2023, perhaps. Yes. I don't have the exact date on it right now, but um, but yeah, just uh, the, the podcast has been fun and, and having a background in writing, I think, helps for some of the marketing, digital marketing and the content marketing that I do with my firm. Mm. It's that's super encouraging because I know that um, as as dentists we get so highly technical and trained and spend so much time doing one thing and we don't realize the other talents that we have and how they can be transferable. So hearing you how you transferred some of your early um, career skills into your your next career, um, it's always encouraging to for us as dentists to hear those stories. I think it's it's similar in a lot of ways to me. It's because being in television is competitive and it's challenging. Um, and dentistry obviously is as well. And all the schooling that has to go in there. But if you can do hard things and figure out how to push through doing hard things in a competitive environment, like those things transfer to other things very easily, more easily than you might think. That's awesome wisdom. I love it. Absolutely love it. And tell us a little bit about your podcast and what it's about and where people can listen. And So, yeah, the name of the podcast is Dentists, Puns, and Money. And I was just trying to think of a kind of a catchy name. It's a play on uh, an old Warren Zevon song from the late 1970s for any music buffs that are out there. And it's evolved. It started out, it, it sort of like was, uh, you know, when I started it two and a half years ago, I think it was kind of like the dental variety show where I just started <laughs> interviewing a few dentists that I knew and they would tell me their stories or things that they had learned. And as it's grown, where I think it's going and where I'm trying to take it as we record this in 2023 is I want to have guests on there that have exited clinical dentistry in some form or fashion to share their stories and the things that they've learned about that process that will then inform and help other people who are considering doing that eventually. And then the other half of it, I want it to be on the topics and the financial pieces that go into that exit from clinical dentistry, again, to help educate and inform dentists who are eventually going to make that leap. So they feel well-armed with information on how to best do that for themselves. Um, my thinking is, to give away your best information to, to as many people as you can for free. And there will be some uh, percentage of people who just have to figure all that out on their own mm -hmm. and would rather hire someone that they enjoy working with help and be a guide for all that stuff. And um, hopefully um, consideration for that, that role for people that want some help eventually. Mm. Yeah, I, that's awesome. Well, we'll make sure and include your podcast in the show notes. And how else can people connect with you or stay stay in the loop with what you're doing and um, maybe reach out to you? So my website is dentistexit.com, dentistexit.com. Uh, that's one way you can learn a little bit more about me and sort of my uh, service model and how I work with dentists that are on the verge or starting to think about leaving clinical 
Um, and, and from there for people that really feel like this is something that's, uh, that they're on the verge of doing and are interested in learning if we should work together or not, uh, the, the, the big leap is just to schedule an initial consultation and let's get to know each other a little bit. Let me try to understand your situation, whether or not I can help. If I can't, I'll try to point you in the right direction or to somebody else who can. Um, but if a clinical exit is, you know, still a few years away for you, but this sounds interesting. I think the easy thing to do is just to sign up for my newsletter, which you can do on my website. And that way you'll get an email from me, I don't know, two or four times a month, depending on the month. And you can sort of stay in my world for hopefully when the time is right down the road and hopefully learn a few things along the way about what I try to teach. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's fantastic. I love that. And we'll make sure and get that website in our show notes as well. So if you're driving, listen to this, don't worry. You don't have to get your pen and paper out, write it down. Just check the show notes out at the end of the podcast. And uh, and you have a little bit of a special for our listeners. Um, 60 days following the release of this podcast, um, 20% off financial pl- planning package. So um, that's that's very generous and kind of you. Yeah. So the first step with that, when I work with anyone is just let's spend three or four meetings and let's build an initial financial plan for you. Let's build that treatment plan. Here's the things that you should look at. And the next, uh, here's the next two or three things you should do over the next year. And there's a flat fee for that. And so what I'm offering is 20% off, uh, for anyone that, uh, mentions the mint door when they reach out and, and schedule that initial consultation. That's fantastic. Super nice of you. Thank you so much. You're well, welcome. This has been enlightening. And I know that uh, your services are very much needed, appreciated. And um, I I just really want to cheer you on to, to help dentists navigate some of this stuff that they might not know a whole lot about, especially as they're trying to exit clinical dentistry. So thank you so much for um, getting the word out and being a guest on our podcast and informing our listeners. Um, Is there anything else that we didn't touch on today that you'd love to mention? Or maybe you have a dental joke. I know you, you, you're, you're big (laughs) on the dental joke. So I don't know. I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but I'm blanking. Uh, the only one I can think of, and is this the one that you told me or the one I heard recently was the Velociraptor uh, <laughs> in terms of the dinosaur? That was Karen. That was Karen. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. That's the one that's top of mind. I'm not, I don't have a, a lot of other uh, bad dental jokes in my back pocket, which is what something that we always do on my podcast for people that haven't listened. But, but no, I, I think, I think we covered hopefully the main things and hopefully people uh, got something out of it and got a few things to think about as they think about exiting clinical. I'm so honored to, to be a guest and I hope this, this helps your audience and I've really just enjoyed to beginning to know you, Laura and Karen uh, in the last uh, six months or so. It's been really fun. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for being here. And uh, I hope our listeners uh, got some encouragement from the financial treatment plan that we touched on today. And uh, we hope to see you again soon as we uh, exit today and I'll see you on our next podcast. Cheers. Thanks, Laura. Thank you.